This is of Brains and Babies. I'm your host, Cindy Moneto, and I love all things development, from conception through birth and into early childhood. My number one goal as an educator is to empower mothers with tools to have more balanced children. So if you like babies and or brain info with some semi-crunchy tidbits thrown in here and there, then we can be friends. Hello and welcome to another episode. Um, I am here on once again, not a Tuesday. I think one of my biggest regrets in life is saying that I was committing to releases every Tuesday. Like what a dumb day to commit to. I feel like Tuesdays are those days that just like happen and then you don't even realize that it's over. So I'm going to start trying to do it on like a Monday or something. I got to come up with a better schedule. So for those of you that are still sticking around, thank you. Bless you. Um, It's suddenly always like a day past Tuesday or a week past Tuesday. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to do another episode. So last episode, um, I talked about primitive reflexes, um, specifically about your Moreau, your Palmer and your rooting reflex and what they are, what they tie to, things that we see when they're retained with our kids. And so today I'm just going to talk about a few more. It, it is what I promised last week and it is something I want to dive further into. So I, w- I will at least do that. Um, So without further ado, I hope this sounds okay. I've been fighting off a little bit of a cold, so I've got kind of a scratchy voice. And I also think it's funny. I decided to do a podcast because anytime I hear a video with my voice, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's my voice. That is what I sound like. Like, how do I have any friends? Ask my husband, like, how do you even love me if that's what I sound like? So um, just bear with me. It's like extra, extra rough for me to listen to today. So Okay, so without further ado, let's go into our first reflex of today. So it is your spinal gallant reflex. So like the others that I talked about last week, um, this one emerges in utero, or babies have it when they're born, and it, it develops starting at about 20 weeks, and then it's inhibited after baby's born at about three to nine months old. There's a lot that's actually unknown about this reflex. Some researchers believe that it allows the like vibrations of sound to travel in utero to belly because it goes up your spinal um, column. And so they think that it allows babies to start to feel sound and through those vibrations. So it lays the foundation for like auditory systems and our auditory integration. Um, one of the biggest things that we do know is that this spinal gallant reflex assists in the birthing process. So what it is, is when you have a, a baby or a child and if you stroke on either side of their back and there's a response, you have to like stroke in a certain pattern and they're, they're, I'm wiggling back and forth and their lower body like wiggles back and forth. This is part of what this reflex is. So this assists in the birthing process. There's pressure um, through the birth canal, right, pressing on on baby. And what happens is in order for baby to assist in the birthing process to help mom out a little bit, as baby begins to wiggle back and forth. And they're really, really small movements. It's not like babies in there like flipping around, but as baby wiggles back and forth, it assists them to start to work their way out of the birth canal. So What we see is when this reflex is retained, especially if it's retained and it's very severe, the most common thing that that we see with this is that it's like a C-section baby because they didn't go through that same birthing process. They were taken out, you know, um, through surgery. And so they didn't get to go through that, that same experience to extinguish and help to start to integrate this reflex. Same thing with babies who have like forceps or vacuums that are used, um, or even people that have like precipitous, so fast labors, like less than a few hours, their kids can sometimes have this because they go through that birth canal so rapidly that once again, that, that reflex isn't used for long enough or um, for 
basically enough times for it to fully extinguish and integrate. So then they retain it after. So what does that look like when it's retained? Bladder control issues are really common. Bedwetting, especially beyond age five, um, both during the day and during the night, because it's, it's once again, it's your spinal column. So it starts to house everything around you know, your lower sensations of your body, your ability to control and regulate that. So later on, even in adults, like IBS is sometimes seen in kids with this, irritable bowel syndrome, um, difficulty holding still. Once again, I, I am moving back and forth. Like kids will sit in a classroom and um, we call it like the ants in the pants phenomenon where kids are just kind of like wiggling back and forth. And a teacher might say like, okay, hold still. And they're like, okay, I am. And then they're literally like st- still wiggling. They're moving their body. They're moving their bum. They just can't hold still. They, they don't have that ability because like I mentioned in the previous episodes, it's a reflex. Their brain is telling them to move because it's, it's trying as hard as it can to basically get rid of this, but it should be long gone. Um, this can also tie into, because it's activated this reflex by pressure and, and certain sensations on the lower back, even like certain waistbands on a kid's pants or like tags can activate it. So that can also contribute to kids holding still. They might have tactile issues with like clothes or tight things, certain tags, kids might want their tags cut out all the time. And then if they're having this, this can also contribute to their concentration or their lack thereof. If a kid is, um, has this reflex present, they're trying to in a classroom and they have like tight sweatpants on that day or even not very tight, but it's activating that spinal gallant reflex, then they're moving and they're wiggling. And even without knowing it, their brain is preoccupied with the sensation that's happening on their body. So they're not able to take in what the teacher is saying and the words that are being said. So concentration is is really impacted by this. Um, It can also affect large motor skills and even a a child's ability to hold themselves upright. Once again, because it's that spinal column and so, so important, then kids might even like slouch over. They might have... um, scoliosis at a young age or diagnosed later on, especially if it's that reflex is present more on one side of the spine, then they naturally curve and arch to favor the other side. Um, disclaimer, I for sure, for sure had this reflex as a child. Um, I actually, when I used to work at Brain Mounts, when I started learning about this, I got tested pretty early on with me working there and I first, and I had this reflex present. So I used to do the exercises to integrate it because like, so many of these like symptoms or if you call them that, if you want that I just listed, like I had bedwetting issues. I think I wore pull-ups till I was like, I don't know, nine. Like I should probably ask my mom, but it was like not a normal time. Um, we have more than one family picture where I had to wear like a material, like tights were like not fun for me. So there's a picture of me where I had to wear tights and a scratchy dress and everyone is smiling in the family picture. And I am like <laughs> the angry child up on the edge, refusing to smile. It's totally because I had spinal gallant reflex. I couldn't identify that, obviously, but I did not I did not do well with some of those things. So I like to think it's integrated now. I haven't tested myself for a few years, but once it's integrated, they don't they don't come back usually, so I should be good. Okay, so that is our lovely spinal gallant reflex. The next one is the TLR reflex or the tonic lab reflex. Now, this reflex is very tied to the Moreau reflex, the fight or flight one that I mentioned last time. And that's because it, they're both vestibular reflexes. So they really lay the foundation for your vestibular system and your balance and coordination and, and a few more things I'll talk about in just a second. So this reflex should be inhibited by about four months old. Um, this basically it is when your head is able to move independently of your body. You should be able to move your head, um, you know, chin to chest and 
back and forth without your body swaying or moving or having any sort of reaction. So this actually begins to help with the birthing process. So it's present at birth as the head extends like backward and flexes backwards through the birth canal. This is that reflex being present. So then after baby's born, this is really the foundation for understanding gravity. Now, this is not a conscious thing. A, a, a tiny baby is not consciously thinking like, you know what, I need to start developing an understanding of gravity. And that's why these are reflexes, because they're something that naturally we're designed to do to help lay the proper foundation. So um, we, as we develop and this reflex integrates and then we continue beyond it, we develop more muscle tone because our body is more upright more often, our core is engaged, and that's that's the proper sequence of development that we should follow. So when this is retained, we see kids that have, excuse me, balance issues or posture issues. They might um, have really poor posture or have a hard time. Even if it's like they're sitting on a a stool or something, they might like tip off or um, they might just have a hard time with like sports or anything that's that's balance involved. Um, We see a lot of toe walkers when they have this, they walk on their toes. And that's because this ties into um, what's called your proprioception, which is basically, it's another like favorite thing. I should probably just do like a whole episode on this. Um, But your proprioception is essentially your body, your ability to feel where your body is in space. So it's your ability to understand your body position. So when we don't have this TLR reflex integrated, then we can't develop proper proprioception. So that's why we, uh, we see toe walkers is because they don't know where their body is in space and they're not able to balance properly. So they hop up on their toes to change their center of gravity and to bring more concentration to it so that they can move through life with like a fluidity. Um, also like difficulty with catching a ball is really hard because they're, once again, they're not sure where their own body is in space. So like having a reference point of there's another person, there's the ball coming towards me. That's a lot of, of pieces to, to interpret like the space between you, uh, the velocity of the ball. So it can be really difficult to like play a simple game of catch. If you have this, um, this reflex present and then the improper proprioception basically that ties onto it. Um, this also can, uh, we can see it with like teenagers, even trying to drive a car later, which it's already, I can't even imagine the day that my kids want to start driving because they're like tiny, precious humans and to put them in this giant moving object. Oh, it's going to scare me. My husband will probably have to talk me off a ledge. But, um, if you don't know, once again, if you can't properly judge where things are in relation to you, then driving a car can be really difficult because there's so many other moving parts that you have to be able to interpret and understand, um, on a subconscious level without like consciously thinking about it. Um, this can also tie into kids that have a hard time with understanding like all the social norms, like bubbles, um, having like a, oh, this is my personal bubble is not a thing with a child that has a TLR reflex present. Um, and, um, that doesn't have proper proprioception because they, once again, they don't understand and feel their own body. So like the fact that they might be right in your space and touching you and that it's making you uncomfortable is something that's not even on their radar. It's not intentional. They're not like trying to be malicious. They're just, um, completely not sensing their own body properly. 
They also might be kids that like provoke a lot of roughhousing or like physical fights with siblings or other kids. Um, and it's because they're trying to it's gonna, like feel and understand where their own body is and to understand and interpret that and having an excess of sensory input, even if it seems to us like a negative form of it, like why would you want a roughhouse, right? Then it's it's their body's way of, of seeking more of that to try and help them identify where they're at. Once again, I feel like I need to just do like a whole episode on this. So the next one, the last one I'm going to talk about is it's your STNR, your symmetrical tonic neck reflex. Now, this is one that it's, it's one of the few that I've talked about. Actually, it's the only one I think that I talked about that's not present in utero. This one emerges when a baby's about six to nine months old, and then it's inhibited at about nine to 11 months. So it's, it's present really for a short time of our lives. And it's essentially the crawling reflex. This reflex helps baby get up off the floor and onto their hands and their knees from their stomach. So it piggybacks off that TLR that I just mentioned because baby has to have control of their head movements independently of their limbs. And they have to be able to have the proper balance and like vestibular awareness to get up on their hands and knees without immediately falling forward every single time, right? So this reflex it's called your symmetrical tonic neck. So symmetrical meaning this one, it, it basically divides your body down. It's called the midline. So when, when this is present, what we want is we want the upper part of your body to move. And then that same side of your leg to also move, right? When, it, when a kid crawl, you move, crawls, they move their right hand and their right knee forward. And then they switch, they move their left hand with their left knee. And that's good. That's this reflex saying we need symmetry on one side and then we switch. So when we don't have this reflex when our kids um, don't develop it properly. We see kids that aren't crawling right. So they might do like a bear crawl or they might do like a skip crawling where they like kind of drag one side. Um, they may rotate their hands outward. So they have like locked elbows. So it's kind of like a push up type crawl. Um, or they might crawl on their toes instead of the top of their foot. So they're kind of like in a, once again, almost kind of like a bear crawl type thing. And this is all ways of compensating because they don't have the reflex that's allowing them to move symmetrically. So playing on the floor for kids is huge. Like tummy time, I feel like is something that um, is talked a lot about lately in like parenting circles. And, and it's great because tummy time is crucial. Children have to be given the opportunity, especially during those first like eight to 12 months um, and then beyond so they can develop the right motor skills. So they have to develop their prone muscles, those stomach muscles before they can crawl. Like the old phrase, you can't put the cart before the horse as like 100% how development works. A child can't crawl until they develop the proper stomach control and muscle tone to lift lift themselves up and hold themselves up. So I am like a tummy time I will preach about tummy time till the day that I die. I remember with my first being like, am I doing enough tummy time? I was a little bit worried about it because it ties into so many things. Um, This reflex also ties into other things. Basically anything that involves both sides of the brain and the body can be impacted by this being present. So like reading, your eyes move together, right? You're right and you're left. They're not going opposite directions. So you need them to work together. Um, you need to be able to have coordination for things like running or catching a ball or riding a bike. I mentioned driving a car. All of these things are things that involve both sides of our body. Um, even like kids that are messy eaters. I mentioned the rooting reflex last time, which can be related to messy eating, but this one can also, because if your body can't properly cross the midline, then you are, I need to like 
video myself doing podcasts because I demonstrate so often, especially when I'm talking about these, but you might misjudge where your mouth is in relation to your hand. And so we have kids that are like messy eaters that are like have food all over their face all of the time. Um, and this can be really apparent that this is present with things like swimming or running because both sides are not communicating. Um, especially if a kid is swimming above water because it's a different sensation for the body than if they're swimming below the water. So some kids that have this present are like great underwater swimmers, but you get them on top trying to do like a simple stroke and they look like a fish out of water. No pun intended. So that's the STNR or the symmetrical tonic neck reflex. Now in summary, which is good because my baby just woke up. So in summary, reflexes are obviously not the only piece of the puzzle. If a child is having like sensory issues or has some sort of diagnosis, they're having developmental struggles or uh, difficulty with hyperactivity, there's so many pieces that tie into that. But these primitive reflexes are definitely a piece of that puzzle and a foundational piece of that. So if you suspect that your child has one or more of these reflexes present, then there are tests that you can do. Um, I keep saying I'll put it on my Instagram. My goal is to create a big Instagram post that has some of these resources for you so that you can um, be pointed in the right direction. And if your child does have them present, then they most likely have other areas of development that have also been impacted. So because of the things that I've talked about in the last couple episodes, if you have certain reflexes that laid the foundation for visual or like auditory processing, and those aren't integrated, then you might have difficulties with visual or auditory processing. And once again, we often notice it, um, it becomes more apparent as our kids get older because the gap becomes bigger. So we might notice like little things when they're three or four, and then when they're five and six and then eight and then 10, and we still see those same things. And it becomes more apparent that other kids their age are not doing them. That's definitely a, a red flag and something to pay attention to. And I, I think I mentioned this in the first one. I am a firm believer in mother's intuition and, and moms often intuitively know it's like, mm, some, something's not right. And if you haven't listened to the episode where I interviewed Dr. Rebecca Jackson, definitely go back and listen because we talked all about development and how to um, like look at developmental milestones and kind of reframing how we've been often taught or led to believe about those. Um, so definitely listen to that. Now, other things to obviously factor into this. Um, our environmental influence on our genes are is huge. I mean, kids might have certain genetic predispositions for these. Also, don't mind my baby playing in the background. <laughs> she just woke up from nap. So, um, but our environment is is a huge piece. It's um, I think there's someone that says something. I don't know who. I it might just be like a phrase that circulates, but about how. Um, genes like load the gun, but environment pulls the trigger. And our environment is, is all over the place from things that we eat. Obviously, like we're not eating as many real foods as we used to. Um, our kids are eating more things with dyes and preservatives and chemicals, and those can impact things. Um, just the toxins that we have with cleaning supplies and through just the amount of plastic toys that we have in our homes and um, plastic plates and, and everything we use that way. Those are all toxins that can impact things. We also have um, like busy lifestyles. Our lifestyles are, are different than they used to be even like 30 years ago. We often have two working parents. And and even if we don't, we have kids that are, are very scheduled. There's, there's kind of this, this mentality that if your kids aren't super busy, then you're a bad parent. And uh, opposite is totally true that sometimes our, all of our, all our kids need is to not be scheduled and to have time to just 
do nothing, right? And not only for development when they're babies, but then as they get older, they need that unscheduled time to just be kids, basically. Um, other things that can impact, I mean, we have different like academic type settings. Kids are sitting for longer. Uh, school days are longer. Uh, recesses are shorter. They're doing more on the computer. There's more screens, not only in schools, but at homes and at restaurants. And literally everywhere you go, there's screens. And that is um, often equated with less movement. If you're sitting in front of a screen, you're not out moving your body. That can impact these reflexes. We also have more like baby gadgets than ever before. Baby gadgets are everywhere. I always joke with my husband that we need to invent a baby gadget because people make bank when they figure out a baby gadget that is going to make parents feel safer or better about their kids. Um, it's like this, it's just obviously a huge market. And, um, but so many of these gadgets we don't actually need, um, Things like bouncers and rockers and swings and constantly being in those can actually really impact a baby for the negative. I need to do a whole nother episode on this because it's, it's often referred to as like container baby syndrome where kids aren't able to move because they're always in something or strapped down. Um, and that movement is so, so crucial. So what can we do as parents? The last thing I ever want anyone to feel in this on my podcast is a feeling of overwhelm because I am a mom. I understand. Like it is so easy to get so overwhelmed and be like, oh my gosh, I have to do everything for my kids. And the last thing I want is for you to feel like you have to go out and plan like a hundred sensory activities. While I love a good sensory activity, um, and I'm definitely not opposed to them. One of the first things that we can do is just throw it back like old school. Let your kids and your babies stay on the floor. Get rid of the screens. Don't have a million battery powered toys. Like just let them move, unstrap them, let them roll. Let's, if that, that means they get dirty, it's okay. Obviously you want to still be safe and don't let them roll like near bodies of water or sharp objects or things they can choke on. But, um, just getting outside, playing on the grass and the dirt and having those different sensations for the body are huge. Let them interact with other babies and older kids and start to, to pattern and, and follow kids that way. But once again, one of the best things you can do to help them with reflexes in the first place so that they they don't retain them is to just let them be babies, <laughs> let them roll and play and think like, how would it have been 30 years ago? Right. And, and try to take some of those same approaches. And then of course, if you suspect that your child has them, find a source and some tools for integrating them. Now it will take time and consistency. Um, there's some sort of training by a neurologist. I'm not trying to like plagiarize right now. If I find who it is, I'll give them credit. It's something along the lines of, um, it might've been like a study at UCLA. I, I got to find it now. I was looking for it though, and I could not find it for the life of me, but, oh, you okay. I have a little, a little wiggly baby. So in order for the brain to change, which the brain can do, the, the quote goes that the training has to be intensive, repetitive, and progressively challenging. I'm going to say that again. So the brain can change, but the training has to be intensive, repetitive, and progressively challenging. So that means that if your child does have these, to integrate them is going to take time. And it takes daily daily effort. There's exercises to do daily, but it can change. And they can be integrated, even if your child is older than they should be when they should have initially been integrated, if that makes sense. So um, those are 
those are my biggest takeaways on primitive reflexes. I, I hope that this all makes sense. Once again, if this is your first episode, go back and listen to the last couple as well because they all tie into it. Um, and I will, I'll be doing some follow-ups on these in the future, I'm sure. I mentioned last time that I used to talk about these literally every single day and I miss it. Part of me really misses it. So, um, that, oh, okay. Well, that's my cue and thanks so much for tuning in.